Three, two, one. Hello, welcome and bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again. Episode 146 on Sunday the 23rd of August. Je suis Armish Phil. Uh, ich heiße Armish Ben. I'm Armish Matt. <laughs> the dwarf, the cripple and the mother of madness. And tonight's guest is a returning guest. It's Steve, the online chemistry tutor. How are we doing, Steve? Good evening. I'm very well. How are you? Not so bad. Uh, Thank you, Go sir. to uh, onlinechemistrytutor.net for all your online chemistry tutoring needs. <laughs> I, let's face it, who doesn't have those? No. <laughs> well, no one. Are you on um, various social media platforms as well? I, I, I am on them. Uh, if I'm honest, I don't tend to update them as often as I probably should. Right. Uh, but I am out there. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, if I ever figure out how to use it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm out there in various places. Good. We'll put all the links in the show notes as usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been on before and we've never really talked about what you actually do <laughs> with, you, with the online chemistry tutoring. Oh, I actually so do. Maybe, yeah, maybe we should start with that. Yeah. Tell us a bit about well, your website and what you're doing. The, the, the website's really just, just the sort of a landing page for people to find me. Um, I, do, I do the online teaching using Zoom, funnily enough, which we're using now. Um, and I've been using it for oh, nearly, four, nearly four years. Um, so I, as I like to remind people, I was using it before everybody started using it. Um, before it was cool. Um, yeah, before it was cool, yeah. Um, and and I, I do all the things that a private cheater would do if they were in somebody's house, except I, I, I do it over the internet, as it were. Um, I've got all sort of various resources and things that I use as screen. How do you, uh, sorry, Steve, how do you steal yeah. tea bags over the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I've literally no answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, one, one of the things that be able to do it, be able to sort of help kids online. Um, I, I work with um, kids from all over the country uh, and I've worked with a few in other countries as well. Uh, I've worked with students in uh, Switzerland, France, uh, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Dubai. Wow. Uh, I've got a student in Brunei lined up, Hong Kong. Right. So, yeah, I even had an inquiry from Uruguay, but unfortunately that one didn't come through. I was gutsed about that one. <laughs> Looking forward to expanding to South America, but not much. Now, why would why would someone in Brunei want to have GCSE or A level chemistry tuition? The students at international schools, so they're studying GCSE and A level syllabuses in other countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Inter- international schools, uh, many international schools are, are modelled on the British uh, education system. Right. So do yeah. they take the same exams? In some cases, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, um, the lab that I worked with in Switzerland was due to take the AQA level chemistry this summer. Um, yeah, same exam. Right, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, they, 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 they tend to uh, 
many international schools follow either British or American education systems and qualifications. It's not unusual. Is that because they're seen as being uh, like a higher calibre than other countries? Um, I, I, I think so. I couldn't say with total confidence. Um, I, I don't know whether it's related to the fact that a lot of international schools, English is the main language. So I guess it makes sense to follow in, in English-speaking um, qualifications of some kind. Don't know the exact reasons. No. Uh, I think that I think that's it. I think uh, the the um, the British education system is, is more respected internationally than people would, would have us believe. Right. Mm. Yeah, I was um, on that uh, many years ago when I was working um, in the system. I went on a trip to China to to visit a school and visit one or two teachers out there back in 2013, and um, this was at the same time when. The then education secretary, who I, who I will not name, Michael Gove. Um, yes, that's, that's yes, that's the bastard. Um, <laughs> um, he, he had this idea of bringing Chinese maths teachers to Britain because their maths system was so much better than ours, even though the evidence was only based upon Shanghai and only a slight number of schools. We felt that was doing the freezing. And uh, this was in the news at the time, and I, and I mentioned to one or two of the Chinese teachers that I met, oh, we're, we're bringing some of your compatriots to Britain to teach us how to teach maths. And they found it quite amusing. And if anything, they, they said that, uh, well, it was a surprise to them because the the movement has very much been the other way. There are lots of British teachers working in China. And yeah, in things, Korea. Uh, what, sorry? In Korea, Korea as well. Yeah, even all over the world. Um, on LinkedIn, there, there are loads. I've, I've made sort of contact with loads of teachers, and there are loads of British teachers working all over the world. Uh, but the, the, the Chinese teachers said that they felt that one of the things that they could learn from British teachers was creativity. They felt that they were very good at develop, developing academic skills in the students, but um, felt that uh, they perhaps they could, we could help them with creativity. I mean, to be fair, some of the things that I saw out there are absolutely amazing. Some of the things that their kids were coming up with, uh, I don't, I really don't think we could teach them much about creativity. In what way? Well, think think back to like your your DT lessons. What did you make in DT when you were at school? Burger alarm. Burger alarm. Letter <laughs> holder. Um, they they showed me um they they had a group of kids doing their DT project. Uh, they made a self-playing drum kit. <laughs> you could program. You could program on different drum beats. Amazing. A, dr- a drum machine. Yeah, but like a, a physical one. Right. So it had all the, all the all the drum. They had all the drums yeah. and what have you in the hand and everything. And like and a, a series of mechanical, you know, things to, to hit the drums with. And yeah, it, it was really really clever. Really interesting. Wow. Very impressive. The uh, the maths thing makes me laugh because I was reading years ago. I think it was, might have been a Malcolm Gladwell book. I uh, can't remember. Outliers, uh, is it? It might have been Outliers. Are you thinking the same thing about the the Chinese counting system? It, yeah, where they have the crosses on the on the. Well, it, it's something to do lines. linguistically. They they count numbers completely different than us, and and that's why you have this sort of stereotype or trope of, of eastern kids being really good at maths it's the, there's some sort of, some sort of linguistic advantage with the chinese language when it comes to number mm. but you know you wouldn't expect michael golf to know anything about that would you it's easier to blame or anything 
Yeah. <laughs> Easier to blame the teachers. Yeah. So, I mean, I was thinking before about the education system and how it's been affected by the pandemic. So I think we should talk about that because, you know, and then leading up to what's been happening over the last couple of weeks. Mm. What, what's your feeling about how uh, our education system's been affected since sort of March, February, March? Oh, well, it's been pretty horrendous. I mean, <laughs> from my point of view, I, I see it from the point of view of the kids. And I was working with a lot of youngsters who were getting geared up. So February, they're getting geared up to take final exams that are going to be a big deal for their futures. And all of a sudden, they're told, you're not going to have an exam. They really did have the rug the pulled from under them. Um, so I felt desperately sorry for them. Um, when was that? Because didn't school shut middle of March, 21st of March, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the, the exams were cancelled. I think it was around about 23rd of March. That was the, the official date of the cancellation of the exams. And, you know, and obviously at that point, I'm sort of speaking to parents and students and trying to offer them reassurance and trying to sort of explain what I think will, will happen. Um, I couldn't have predicted this last six months that have unfolded for sure, you know. Um I think the thing that annoys me looking back now and the, the fiasco is regarding the results is that they had six months to come up with something. Um, and granted, it's the middle of a pandemic and they've got a lot on the plate at the minute, but I just think that this should have been a higher priority than it was. Um, if you take the time from the exam, the, the schools being close to approaching results day, it was all about whether the schools would open or not, what social distancing measures were happening being taken nobody was really talking about what are we going to do about these students results right um and the whole thing with the algorithm i mean you know oh let's 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 explain because we have to bear in mind a lot of people listening are antidipodean or uh (laughs) or north american or european so so skills shut in march Mm. and then shortly after they cancel the exams yeah. A couple of days later. So then there's, and then what, was there just a vacuum of information regarding the exams? Well, the students were, everybody was told that schools would have to come up with what what result they think the student would have got if they'd taken the, the exam, basically. So and like they, a teacher assessment, great. Exactly. And they were given plenty of time to come up with that. And they were given guidance as to how that should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and this in itself, I mean, I, I'm glad I wasn't still working in the system because that would have been an incredibly difficult exercise anyway. Yeah. Um, they, they do have to give every year, they have to give a series of predicted grades. They have to say what they think the students will get um, because you might have a situation in the normal circumstances where a student... Um, it, it ha- has a, a serious incident just before an exam is going to be taken through no fault of their own. And there's a mechanism in place for awarding that student a grade based upon what the teacher think you would have got. So wow. from that point of view, yeah, that system exists. Um, because obviously, you know, something could happen. You know, you could have a serious bereavement on the even exam and clearly they're not, they're not going to be able to take an exam. And um, yeah. there, there's special dispensation in place for, the, for those sorts of things. Essentially, that was applied to the whole cohort. 
where, where they're all having a great assigned to them. And I was trying to put myself in the position of somebody who was working in school and what, what you would do and what would happen. And I think what will have happened at schools up and down the country is that departments will have got together and department heads will have said to teachers, okay, let's let's begin by collating a series of grades that we think will be appropriate for our students and then we'll bring them together and we'll review them together and we'll look at whether the percentages for each grade are similar-ish to what we've had in previous years. Um, And those grades would then be submitted. What happened is that when the results came in and Ofqual, who are the organisation who are responsible for for exams across the country and the awarding of qualifications, when those results came in were compiled, it was found that they would have been, if those results had been offered at face value, they would have been record-breaking um, to the tune of about 10% above the previous best year's performance. Right. So you can ask the question, well, why did that happen? I, uh, you, well, you, you, could, you could give a number of reasons. You could say, well, the teachers were overpredicted. That's, that's one reason. Bear in mind that the teachers will look at their students, and when they're asked to predict this grade, they'll be thinking about what would this student get on a good day? You know, if they perform the way that they performed throughout the year, what are they likely to get? And there's every chance that those grades will, will always be a little bit higher than they might be, because um, having been through the exams process many, many years, there are always some students who, who have a bad day and who drop a grade. The, yeah. No way of knowing which ones it will be. Would they also be thinking about league tables as well, Steve? Well, assurances were made that that would not be a concern at all. And the results not be con- <laughs> But they, I think you've just touched on another problem, which is the inherent lack of trust that exists between the education system and the government. Yeah. I think I think you've, you've hit upon the problem, and I think um, a lot of teachers will be thinking. There, there are a number of different part, um, sort of angles on this. Some of them will have been thinking, well, if we predict exactly what we think they'll get, and that school down the road predicts ten percent higher, if all the grades are taken at face value, their their results are going to be ten percent better for their students than ours, and that's not fair. And all of a sudden then you've got kind of a a situation where schools might, and I say might, if you've got a teacher working in these schools, they would, 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 I'm sure, vehemently say, no, no, we would never do that. Um, I think it's human nature to want to help the children a little bit and to to make sure that they get the best grades that they can get without being seen to be totally unfair and to give them um, two in place to grade. Um, So when these grades were submitted, they, they were on the high side. And, and off well, I, I don't know exactly where the decision came that they would have to be lowered to bring them more into line with previous years. And this is where Ofqual decided that they need to apply this algorithm to the results to essentially normalise them, if you like, um, to bring them more in line with what we've had in previous years. Um, now, that was done the sets of results that came out were more in line with what previous what's happened in previous years. But of course we had a situation where there were many, many students who had been, say, working at A and B grade all the way through, 
who are collecting season Bs on results day. And the school couldn't believe it, the student couldn't believe it, and it caused a great deal of distress to a lot of young people. Um, mm. The government initially tried to defend it. Um, the education minister, Nick Gibb, um, was, was uh, doing a, a radio interview where a prospective, I think it was a dentistry student, who had her grades marked down, um, said to him, you ruined my life. <laughs> that was the word that she used. Those are the words she used. Um, and you could, you could hear him squirming a little bit, um, understandably, because any, any human being surely is going to react to that and to feel, feel a pang of, of sadness. Um, he tried to defend the results as being robust. That was the, the key word that the government were using. This is a robust set of data. Strong and stable. Right, yeah. But the clamour to change the results became so overwhelmingly strong that the government were forced to U-turn and say that the original teacher grades would be would be accepted and the results that were issued to the students would would be replaced by the predicted teacher grade unless the result awarded by the algorithm was higher than the teacher predicted grade, which I think was about 0.2% of all results. Right. So there were there were some who and, and that in a way that's fair enough. Can imagine imagine if you're one of the lucky ones that the algorithm is decided <laughs> you're a better student. No, you're expecting C's and you get D's, but you get B's and you're thinking it's all right. You're one of the point two percent. Yeah, and then a week later you get told, well, actually we're going to go for the teacher assessment. You, 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 like I say, the point two percent feel a bit gutted, but yeah. Um, I think the government said no. Whichever grade is higher, that's the grade you're going to get. Was there not? Um, oh. Sorry, no, I was just going to say. I was just wondering if there's any kind of ethical process that they went through about having a, an algorithm, a computer, decide grades rather than an exam. And I assume each exam is is assessed by a teacher, isn't it? The the exams are marked by teachers. Yeah, that's what I mean. So. It's quite an interesting ethical thing, isn't it? That you get an algorithm to do it based on postcodes from what I've read and, you know, previous performance and all the rest of it. And like, so it's just you just picks randomly, right? You did worse. You did worse. You did worse. You did worse. That's bizarre. I don't understand how anybody could think that that is a fair way of. No one likes exams though, do they? Let's, let's just have well, the no. algorithm going forward. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I like exams. I'd have been screwed <laughs> if I was if I was given my projected grades. Be too I like exams. You can cram for an exam well, and just waffle through it. Get a good mark. That is surely that to me. If someone you know off call, whoever decided was sat in that meeting and went right, we're just going to get this computer and that's going to decide randomly <laughs> who's going to get <laughs> with, with with no thought for prior you know that particular student's performance. As compared to another, that's just bizarre to me. Well, when when it was announced that we were going to use the um, the um, algorithm grades, the teachers said, "Well, their, their immediate reaction was, well, why on earth did we bother? Exactly. We're always, if we're just going to do this." Um, and um, I was going to say something else as well about the algorithm grades. Oh, sorry. It's, no, sorry. No, no, it's, no, it's not your fault. I've just uh, wasn't there. Um, wasn't there some sort of appeals process? Yes, I mean, this is another example of how the whole thing has been sort of fudged and they've been making it obviously go along or it feels that way. 
Um, initially, they said, we're cancelling the exams. You will be awarded a grade in the summer. If you are not happy with the grade, there will be an appeal process and you'll have the opportunity or being well to take an exam in the autumn. <laughs> now, my, to my students, what I said to them was, um, my advice is, because bear, bear in mind, from my point of view, I, I'm preparing students for an exam that's not going to happen anymore. And those students and parents are going to think, well, if this exam's not going to happen, we don't really need Steve services. What I, what I said to them was, in my opinion, you, you should prepare for that autumn exam. Because if you don't get the grade that you want, that's your second chance. It's your chance to show what you can do. Um, and some students did. They stayed on with me. They've worked right through sort of the lockdown period. They've covered all the material. And they weren't awarded the grade that they were hoping for by the algorithm and also by the school. It wasn't quite high for the university course that they want. And they're, they're on target to hopefully get that grade in the autumn exam. But there are a lot of students who once the, and, and there are lots of reasons for this, but once the lockdown was announced, um, a lot of them, I think, probably didn't carry on working. No. Carry on studying. Now, there could be lots of reasons for that. Um, it, it was, to my mind, in my humble opinion, um, it was the school's responsibility to keep this going and to, to move towards an online approach to keep people studying. And again, my opinion, a little bit controversial, but I don't think that state schools have, have really stepped up in that respect. Some of them have, but many of them haven't. Um, the students haven't had the support that they could have had from home. Um, many of the private schools move towards having online lessons. They took the students' timetable and delivered it online. Mm. Now, Why would that be? Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe they did it for altruistic purposes or maybe just they nah. had to justify their fees. Yeah, because But either them. way, those students still got their education or, or yeah. something close to it. So the outcome is that those students have still been working and still been studying. Um, I, I approached one of my former, former schools where at the time lockdown was just being announced. Um, I was in touch with one of my former colleagues and you know, just said what's what's going on. And he said, we're expecting to announce a closure anytime soon, looking into online teaching as a possibility. And I, and I contacted my former school just to remind them that I still existed. Uh, but to make the point that I've been delivering online teaching for, for you know, best part of a thousand hours by that point. And if they were looking at moving towards an online um, teaching approach, um, I'm, I'm at the disposal to help in any way that I can. I didn't say what kind of help, what form that would take. I was just thinking that they might not have the experience of the platforms that I have. I could have offered to help train teachers to use them, the platforms and how to use materials, all kinds of things. I didn't presume to, to know what they needed or if they needed any help at all. I got a two-line reply basically saying, Thank you for your email. It's against school policy to offer offer private tuition services for to, to students or parents of students, and that was it. That's um, nice. Well, I didn't even I didn't even say, you know, <laughs> please promote me to your parents. I was thinking I could help the school, and I wanted to. Yeah. Um, so I got that reply, and I thought, well, if that's going to be the standard reply from schools if I approach them to offer help, then clearly it's not not really worth me trying. Um, what's the, what's the, where does that come from? Where's that thinking come from? What thinking that the, uh, they reply? Um, 
I, I, I genuinely don't know. Um, I, I was thinking that this is an exceptional situation and if schools are really serious about continuing to provide the best education they can for the students, they're going to have to be creative and they're going to have to look outside the usual sphere for, for um, novel solutions. Right. That, that was where I was coming from. And I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe, maybe they had enough problems as it was, you know, maybe they just didn't take the time to read my email and sort of misinterpreted what I, what I was trying to offer them. I don't Draws a, uh, a stark contrast between the what you described as the reaction in private schools to state schools, doesn't it? This is what I mean, um, and, and it's controversial, I know, but I think a lot of state schools haven't stepped up to their plate on this. Were, um, really. were private schools required to do the same as state schools regarding like um, looking after kids from um, key worker families and whatnot? They they would have yes right. they, sh- they should have I think I, so I that's not an excuse that's, that's the point actually um, they might not have been legally required to do that I don't actually know huh. um, good question not sure um, it wasn't all schools anyway was it there was required he said it was it could be that it was like uh, there was a hub wasn't it and a few a few pupils from a few different schools went there. So I don't know. It, it varied between different councils mm. and different areas, I think, de- depending on the demand. Mm-hmm. A lot of schools, I think, prepared to accept kids of key workers and then there was there was practically no take-up and they shut anyway. Yeah. Mm. Uh, someone I know who worked in a school was pretty much on standby uh, in, like, April and May and she was meant to do so many days a week doing the looking after key worker kids and it she just get, kept getting cancelled every week because there weren't enough kids and uh, she didn't right. go into school for months. Mm. It's, um, so are, are the exams going to go ahead in, in autumn? Yes, yes, that's the plan. The plan is that there's, there is going to be a full suite of exams in, in October. Who's, who's going to take them? Who's going to do what, sorry? Who's going to take them? Any student who is not happy with their grade um, can ask to be entered for the exam. Right. And like I say, um, any any students with any sense will have been working during the time that the schools have been closed, hopefully with support from the school. But speaking to the students I work with, that has been very patchy. Some, some have been very well supported and some have not. Right. Um, of course, some students get support from people like me and have been working and studying throughout. Um, I have heard uh, on the sort of the subject of private tutors coming in and helping share the burden. I have anecdotal reports, anecdotal only, of teachers on lockdown taking advantage of the situation to provide private tuition. I heard that. Yeah, oh, so they're getting pretty much flooding the market. Yeah, so they're yeah. getting paid yeah. twice, basically. Getting paid by the school to to yeah. stay home and then, you know, doing £20 an hour private tuition online. The, the, the ones who are vocal on social media have been saying throughout lockdown they've never worked so hard. <laughs> now, now, in some cases, that may well be true. There may be, you know, uh, in, there may be some schools who've got everything sorted out and moved from a... Uh, standard teaching to online teaching, then that will have required teachers to work very incredibly hard to prepare for that, to get ready and everything else. I don't doubt that. 
but but I'm pretty certain there have been quite a lot of teachers who have had essentially a bit of a holiday. Sounds good. I, I, no, none, none of my um, like nieces and nephews at primary and secondary school have not had any like you know full online Zoom or online classroom sessions. They've just had um, things emailed to them or things like that, you know, no kind of interaction until um, sort of just before the summer holidays, I think some of them invited in for, an, I think it was an hour or two hours a week for something like three or four weeks. Online? Uh, no, actually physically into school when they sort of eased lockdown or whatever they did. I can't remember when. Right. The initial, the, the, the initial easing because two of them were in, um, they're in, they're in year 10 now. So going to year 11 in September. Oh, yes, I remember now. They wanted to try and get the year 10 kids yeah. and the last year of primary school kids, I think, in for a bit. Yeah. For yeah, a couple of weeks. So, yeah. So I believe, like, I heard again, anecdotally, there was, like, one, someone I worked with, her daughter, um, went back to school for, like, a week or something at the end of term, you know. What about um, you, Ben? What was your experience with the school? Yeah, um, my daughter had um, Zoom calls twice a week with all her class and her teacher. And every week um, there was online resources available, a lot of them, printing out loads for, for maths and English specifically. And then they have, um, they have like topic which covers science and all kinds of things. She's only in year two um yeah just going into year three now so it's you could argue it's not as i mean it is important because she's she's learning she's at that that important age where she's picking a lot of stuff up but she's not studying for any exams or anything i think she has missed out on her first sats that would have been this year um so that's that's just been no one's no one's bothered about those when did the zoom call start was that straight after the lockdown immediately yeah there you go. My um, my eight year old had a half hour Zoom call in the last week of term. That was <laughs> that was the only contact he had with school since they shut in March. Good God, really? <clears throat> as far as like uh, online, and it wasn't like a teaching lesson. Mm. It was more of a just. <laughs> do you remember us? <laughs> Talk with your I class, mean, but they did get work it... sent home, so you would get work sent every day via uh, the website and then you would take pictures of the work completed send it to the teacher and then you get like a like or something or a comment yeah i suppose the other thing as well you've got to take into account it would have been a bit of a lottery as to the teacher's own caring needs i suppose unless i suppose they would be key, key workers, workers. They could, yeah i could send the kids to school couldn't they? <laughs> so, yeah they've got no excuses well, what I was going to say, I was just about to say something, and it's gone again. I fear I do. <laughs> do now. <laughs> easier. Well, um, just to- well, yes, I remember. Um, one, one of the um, the arguments against providing online learning was that there are households out there that don't have access to the internet, and it will put their children at a disadvantage. That's yeah. the argument that was made. Equality. Uh, I mean, so like, everyone down to the same level. Yeah. <laughs> So five percent don't have the it's it's hardly any. Yeah. But I'm sure that if if the government had said they put out an appeal 
to the telecommunication companies around the country, they could probably have persuaded um, companies to donate. Um, dongle. Dongle. Yeah. yeah. It's Trevor Bayliss and his wind-up radios all over again. <laughs> wind-up dongles. <laughs> I bet they would have. The companies would have done that, I'm sure of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course they would. You know, and it could have been the big logo on it. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, it, and, and and maybe the laptop as well. But but you don't you don't you don't actually need a laptop here if you're accessing the lesson. Any kind of device would do. So um, yeah, sure. The problem is basically saying they can't all have it, so none of them can have it. Which, That's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's making that argument about the? I can't remember who made the argument. I don't know whether it was the teaching unions or whether it was certain individuals or, or teaching groups. I don't know. But but I heard that argument made. And, it's one yeah. of those times where you should just say, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was some hesitancy over, I think there are particular safeguarding issues when it comes to online teaching, isn't there? So on the on the Zoom call that my eldest had, um, you know, it was like no adults, no parents were allowed on screen. Oh. You're allowed to sit in the same room and listen, but you couldn't be on screen. Um, there was a teacher there, and she was flanked by two off-screen teachers as well. Hmm. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, because they're worried about online pervs or something. It's a safeguarding thing. There was one story, I think, wasn't it? Someone infiltrated... <laughs> infiltrated a, a school lesson and started swearing. I think they just started swearing and stuff. It was a bit like, have you seen that Father Ted um, episode where they ring up priest chat and there's all the, those teenagers <laughs> on the other line? <laughs> oh, fucking priest. <laughs> but I, I, it could have been worse than that, but that's how I remember it in a in a comedic sense. But I think there was one story of of, um, of an infiltration of a Zoom meeting that, that was set up by a school. But I mean, it's, that's why Zoom put all the um, requirements for passwords, and you have to have waiting yeah. rooms now. It's yeah. it's a lot more secure than it was, and that's that's just improvement. I suppose that's mm-hmm. that's what you have to do these days. But people are sensible. I mean, I don't think people are given enough credit these days. I mean, the general populace. There are a lot of stupid people out there, but. What do you think? How do you feel about schools opening in September, Steve? Do you think everything's going to go off without a hitch? There are bound to be problems. I think there'll be isolated outbreaks because um, although they say that children are far less susceptible to COVID, um, they still do get it. And there, there will be a child at a school who contracts COVID who perhaps isn't, you know, God, God willing, isn't particularly ill themselves, but it results in the school having to be closed. It's, it's bound to happen. Um, but I, I do think it's the best place for them. And I think most of them want to go back. You know, I, I've been talking to the students I work with saying, you know, all being well, you'll be, you'll be back, you know, next week. And they're all enthusiastic about going back. They want to go back. Um, because it's a, you know, it gives them a sense of things return to normal, which mm. I think we could probably all do with. Um, but it's bound to be fraught with difficulties in the, in the first instance. And, and it's and you know to be fair to the teachers they'll be worried you know um, because they're obviously more at risk than the children are um, and there will be some teachers who won't be able to go back to school because they'll be in vulnerable groups. Um, it's going to be tricky. It's not going to go off without a hitch. Um, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. And 
hopefully they'll be given the support that they need to do that. I know I was uh, maybe bashing them a little bit earlier on, but I still care about the education system. I still care about kids, and I hope it really does go up. Maybe, maybe the vulnerable teachers could uh, Zoom call in, just have a camera at the front of the class. Well, you're in I the did. back row. <laughs> Funnily yeah, enough, device that throws chalk. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm... The device that throws chalk is a brilliant idea. I mean, I, I can sort of attest to that as being something that you can do because I went full time doing this at the start of 2019, and at the end of my first my first day, the first Monday in January, I got a call from um, I had a sixth form in London. Uh, saying, um, should, to quote sort of a long story short, our chemistry teachers left, our, <laughs> the agency teachers that we're getting in, we're not happy with. Um, we've got a couple of newly qualified teachers who are enthusiastic and bright and great, but we, we need an experienced person to help our A-level class. Um, would you consider looking at um, a remote solution? And to cut a long story short, I provided four hours of teaching a week for six months and got them through their exams. Nice. You know, from, from my desk 200 miles away. Mm. So you can teach remotely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it, 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 there are technical challenges associated with it, but it can be done. Needless to say, we didn't do any practical work. Um, but, yeah, it can be it can be done. And um, it's very easy to throw up barriers and to say why things can't be done. But these are kids' education. You only get one chance, and we should be looking for solutions, not problems. Yeah. What was different for you? doing that over the internet as compared to being in a, in a classroom? Um, the only, the, one of the differences is that you can't kind of walk around the class when they're w- working on things and sort of look over yeah. and help them like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do most of the things, you, you'd be surprised with the technology now. You can do most of the things that you could do, if, you know, even if you were there in person, you know, and one of the, one of the sort of the default arguments against online teaching, oh, it's not the same as being there. Well, no, it's not, but there's still an awful lot that you can accomplish if you're sort of creative. Um, I mean, getting feedback from students on, on, on work, I mean, it's not very, it's not very sort of um, high tech, but, but if I ask a student a question in the class um, and um, they're doing, let's say, a calculation, I want them to, sh- to show me the working, they'll just do that. They'll just hold up a piece of paper with, with the working on. I'll look at it and say, yeah, mm. that's fine, but you made a mistake in the third line. Can you see what it is? Um, so there, there are a lot of things you can do. I, I was at um, a meeting not unlike this um, for uh, the Tutors Association because there is a national organization for private tutors. And a lot of the people who go there are people who tutor at their own home or at the homes of the students. Not, not, many, not many online tutors like myself. And, and I was in a breakout room with three of the tutors who were talking about the fact that they were really missing tutoring people and being in the same room as them. And they were they were making the move towards online tutoring and tutoring and finding it a little bit a little bit strange. And I asked them a question. I said, "What what is it specifically that you feel like you can't do now that you're working online that you could do when you were there in the per- in the same room as the person you're tutoring?" And they were stumped. They couldn't come up with anything. It took, it took them five minutes to come up with something. And I think it's just that the idea is a bit different and it's a bit strange. It's not quite normal. And there's always resistance to change. But for, for me, this, I think we have to start looking at other ways of educating students because 
you know, we're hoping that this will go away and things will return to normal, but it could be around for the next 12 or 18 months. And if schools are having to close down for three or four weeks every, every, every sort of three or four months, then we need to find a way of keeping their education going. Yeah. There was um, a big thing in the media a couple of weeks ago saying that something like we'd lost, we'd gone back sort of like 10 years as far as um, the, in, in sort of in terms of equality and, and how rich kids tend to do better than poorer kids in school and that we'd sort of gone back a decade this year because because of the results of the lockdown will be that better off parents will be able to afford to hire private mm. online chemistry tutors <laughs> and, and poorer kids who have no laptop of their own or device won't be able to access um, or they might not have the motivation or the parents might not have the time to spend to invest in them and that we've really gone backwards over this last six months. Well, we'll have to um, see how the evidence sort of comes out over the next sort of 12 to 18 months to see whether that's true. I hope it's not. But one of the things that the government is trying to do is set up this national tutoring um, scheme where students, and particularly students who can't access private tuition, can get um, 75% funded private tuition by their school. So schools have been invited to nominate students who they think will benefit from extra support who could be could be in danger of sort of fall, falling down and falling behind the type of students you've just described and actually get them some extra support. And the government have worked closely with the, the Tutors Association, amongst other organisations, to try to get this up and running. They're inviting um, anybody who they feel can contribute to this to, to get involved. So recent graduates, even if they haven't been involved in education, um, are, are able to sort of apply and get involved in this. Um, but you have to be part of a lot. There are a number of hoops that you have to jump through if you want to get, get involved in this. You have to be a member of a large tutoring organisation. It's very hard for me to do it as a standalone. Um, you have to have worked, your, your organisation has to have evidence of having worked with a school in the last 12 months or something. Um, so it does feel to me that um, a great project that this is and how it could help to um, redress that balance, it does feel to me like these government contracts are going to get hoovered up by the big players intuition. Yeah, it's the same, um, with same with everything, same with my industry, yeah. that. Yeah. It's always yeah. a little guy who gets squashed. Government mates get the contracts. Yeah, and just regulating you out of existence. Uh, there's been a change to um, rented accommodations recently because of the fallout from Grenfell, <laughs> where they've they've mandated that people who rent out properties have to have their ele- the wiring tested when there's a change in tenancy or every five years, and it's mandatory for the first time. It always used to be just gas, what? but it's not. Yeah, 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 but. <laughs> And um, I looked into it, and I've been doing landlord certificates for years. And and then I looked into it. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to pay for an extra day's surveillance visit, which I don't know what the cost will be. I have to have two hundred fifty thousand pound public indemnity insurance. I have to do this, that, and the other. It's like it's not worth it. I'm not not bothering. So I can't offer that service. It'll be the big limited companies with ten sports on the books that'll hoover up all that work, and they'll be able to name the price. Yeah, it's what's 
Sorry? I said twas evidence. What? Is that Latin? Twas ever thus. It's always yeah. been that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just uh, ask it as well. Sorry, there's a fly in. I was just going to ask you, Steve, as well. Um, well, we touched upon it. And how old is your daughter? Did you say, uh, Ben? Is she eight? Uh, she's seven. Seven. So, uh, I think. Uh, how do you feel about this kind of the sats and the exams and having an exam when you're eight, kind of thing? It's pointless, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> League tables again. It's just so you can say this school's got. 80% of children who pass an exam at this level, therefore it's better, quote-unquote, than than another school. It, it all comes down to your reasons for doing it. Um, when I was at primary school, I'm pretty sure that I had kind of formal exams at the end of every year, but there were multiple-choice questions. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Remember those? Yeah. And I remember the teacher saying when I would have been probably about your daughter's age, Ben, about eight, eight years old, the teacher saying that um, the, these exams, you know, are, are not, you know, well, I don't she didn't like say they weren't important, but she, she used the right language to totally take the pressure off us and to not, to make us feel like we didn't, you know, it didn't matter if we didn't do very well. Uh, but what she did say is, as you get older, you will take exams and they will be more important and the older you get, the more important the exams are. So I think it's a mechanism for preparing. Prostate the exam. Time. That's the that's the big. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we're sort of preparing you for that. That exams are going to happen and they are going to be important. Um, I think that's a good thing. I, th- I think you know the idea of kids at eight years old taking exams and dogs exams are going to go into a table and are going to be used as a stick to beat certain schools with. I I can't I can't see it ending well in any way you know you, you have a situation where teachers feel under pressure well the heads feel the pressure for the results they transmit that pressure to the teachers get these results or else the teachers <laughs> then are in a situation where they're, they're teaching to the test rather than actually teaching kids to love the idea of learning um so um there's a there's a, a phrase that i read somewhere apparently an educator once said you can't fatten a pig by weighing it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the point. You have to have some exams. You have to have some way of showing achievement and attainment. But but they should be designed to get more serious as you, the children get older. And there should be any, any exams that kids take at a younger age should be treated very much as this is to give you a feel for what you're working towards right now. Don't put yourselves under pressure. You know, there's, there's nothing riding on it as such. It just sounds sounds like just hoop jumping to me, and it it seems like it's a necessary, it's inevitable when you have some sort of mass standardised education system. Is that it requires monitoring, and that that will coursework, I guess, isn't it? Rather than a final exam <laughs> or a viva. Well, this that that that's interesting because um, again, again. Um, Going, going back to a former education secretary who decided that education should have been the way that he had it 40 years ago. Exactly. Um, and we should move away from modular exams to, to a final exam. Um, if we had had 
the old A-level system still in place, and by old, I mean the one from about nine years ago, then students in year 13 would have taken exams in January of year 12, summer of year 12, January of year 13. 67% of their marks would have been known. Mm-hmm. So they would only miss two modules. You would have been in a far better position to predict their final grade. Um, it would have been a far, far better situation to be in. Now, um, for all the things that I've learned, the former education secretary for, um, nobody could have predicted the global pandemic that it would have caused <laughs> the country. You can't make policy on that basis. Um, but it, it still doesn't change the fact that his reform made teachers' jobs far worse and led to a situation where an awful lot of young people were grossly distraught just over a week ago. So well, I'm sure he'll realise that and apologise for it any, mm-hmm. any day now. Yeah, he's been a long time for that. <laughs> well, um, um, the upshot of it is, is that that's all been rectified now, hasn't it? What, what's been rectified? The kids, the disappointed kids, hasn't it? been oh, a yeah, record-breaking it been, year. Yeah. It has, it, but by and large, it has been fixed. But there were a few days where they were, you know, right. in limbo, not knowing where they were. What are the consequences of this? What they've done with having the record-breaking exam results? Well, that's a good question. Uh, one of the consequences is that um, Un- University of UK are um, tearing the hair out mm. um, because they they don't have the university places for all the students with the grades. That is that is a consequence of what's happened. So you uh, take, for example, someone who was predicted A-stars across the board, never missed a day of school, Superb student, the, the ultimate number one student in the country, could miss out on a university place because someone who was predicted C's and B's is going to take his place instead. What about that kid? Well, exactly. There, there are there are a lot of kids who on results day didn't think they got their results. Then we moved to, to they were, they're basically the university confirmed. Sorry, we we can't offer you a place due to your results. Then the government made their U- U-turn. That student's results are upgraded, and all of a sudden they do have the grades that was that was required for that place. They've gone back to the university to say, "Turns out I do have the grades. Where do I stand?" And the university is in a situation where they've, all, they've allocated all the places. Um, that 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 has happened. Um, I think that's still ongoing and will be ongoing for a while. One of the things that. Um, the the um, the country's medical schools have, have said to the government have said to Matt Hancock, Matt Hancock we need more places for medicine and they're petitioning Matt, Matt Hancock to um, to create more medicine places for this year because medicine is one of the most um, expensive university courses you can take and tuition fees don't don't anywhere near cover it right. um, <clears throat> the, the universities need extra funding for the government for that mm. so. That, that's one thing because medicine being such a um, sought after um, university course. One, one thing yeah. I, I'd heard is that the government were encouraging middle class families to try and get the kids to take a year out. Before. Surely that just causes an issue for the next year. That's what I mean. It, it means yeah. that this problem rolls over to next year. So when people take their exams <laughs> next year, they're then, deal with it. they're then competing yeah, with. Better. They're then competing with kids who have artificially inflated grades for places. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, again, this is one of the, the many unintended consequences of this. 
um, due to the general nature of the pandemic, there will be far, far fewer international students this year. Mm. So that that does free up a lot of places. So the situation well, in places may resolve to an extent. I think, I think, I might be wrong, but because they pay for their own fees, those places are uncapped. So it doesn't... And- that just basically that's just bad news for universities because that's where they make all the money because they, they pay, charge them yeah. more. They pay massively inflated fees. There's there's, yeah. there's concerns <laughs> that a lot of universities could go under because yeah. of that, mm-hmm. which again will mean we're losing places again for the the kids next year and the year after and the year mm. after that. Yeah. This this is going to rumble on and on. Mm. Do you think there was any way they could have made the exams go ahead? I was thinking this at the time because when when the schools were closed, I think it was about a week before they were due to finish for Easter, and I was hoping that they could have just held off for what? No, actually, I say it's a week. I think it was a, it was there was more time. My, my feeling at the time was: is there any way they can hold out till Easter, keep the schools open till Easter, and use the Easter holiday as a chance to work out what to do? Um. I, I, I was surprised, even when the schools were closed, I did wonder whether they were trying to sort of have the exams still happen. I mean, I guess I was looking at it from my point of view because my the way in which I teach students wasn't being affected. I think I rather naively thought that schools up and down the country would turn heaven and earth over to continue to provide an education remotely. I genuinely did. And that's why I contacted the school to say, look, if you need help, I want to help you. Um I, I and and it was clear once the exams were cancelled that that wasn't going to happen. Um, I think the only way they could have um, still had the exams is if they come up with a national strategy for keeping the education system going, even if it was remotely. There probably just wasn't the time to put that in place, though. And so essentially, I- every school was left to fend for itself, as we said. So, in other words, it wouldn't have been fair if the exams, if the schools had stayed shut and then expect the kids to take the exams, it wouldn't have fair. And we we yeah. probably would have seen a record, you know, lowest grades for the last 20 years sort of outcome. You, you, it would have come back to what we, we said before, that um, if the exams were still happening, the parents who could afford it would have afforded, would have, would have employed private tutors to keep their students going. And the ones who couldn't afford it, who were left to pay for themselves, would have been at a disadvantage, and that would have shown the results. You would have, you would have had, I think, the most uneven set of results. You know, you, you said about uh, social mobility has been put back ten years. That's what you would think, the thought. Well, the results in the summer would have been horrendous on that metric. Pre-open uh, the workhouses, get some masks made. Uh, you know, hand sanitizer. Yeah, get them all working. Yeah, everyone's happy. Happy. <laughs> uh, it seems like there was sort of there's, there was never going to be a good outcome. I, I guess it's quite difficult, isn't it? Mm. It's like the ethical thing, isn't it? Versus the the other side of it, which is the whole mess anyway. Yeah, it's not been it's been horrendous. All oh, around. hang on! I've just thought um, Sweden didn't close their schools. Oh, yeah. Could have just done that. That <laughs> just, just occurred on. to me. Yeah, they they just carried on. I wonder what would have happened if we'd have just carried on. <sighs> Guess we'll never know. 
They have uh, like swine flu. Swine flu was was a similar sort of level of panic at the start, but then everyone just went, "Oh yeah, it's fine. It'll <laughs> be it'll be fine." I I mean, <laughs> <laughs> loads of people died from swine flu. People are still dying from swine flu. Are they? Uh, yeah, of course. It's a, yeah. it's a, uh, a seasonal uh, strain now. H one N one. Oh, that's the flu, isn't it? H one N one. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. just called flu now. They've dropped the swine off the. It's just flu, yeah. No, if you say swine flu, it's that's that's where you get your panic. There's more people have died dying of flu a week now than COVID. Have they stopped calling everything COVID now? Then no, no. It's just it's it's down season. It's down that low. It's Must've... double digits a week now. I think. I think there was six today. Then there's um, hospitalizations are lower as well, aren't they? Yeah, there's um, the people, the scientists are not sure about this, whether they think it could be a less um, deleterious like, yeah. strain. It might have uh, mutated. Yeah, I've read that. Well, the virus is only successful if it doesn't kill its host. Mm, so. Like you said, we covered it all on the podcast. It is, yes. Months ago. <laughs> That, that would be good news, wouldn't it? It's beautiful yeah. to, to a mild inconvenience. I mean, yes. that, would be, that would be great news. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think would about, they say that, though? Would they actually tell us that? Or would they still focus on getting the vaccines out? And, you know, they're already talking about saying, oh, this might be a thing where you're going to have to they? Have Who's they, Ben? Who's they? Um, do I need my tinfoil hat? <laughs> yeah, you do, yeah. Sorry. You're not um, suggesting the government would like to keep us scared, are you? Just <laughs> under control. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the I've I've heard reports, or I've read I read something somewhere. I can't remember. Uh, oh, here we go. Someone someone was saying um, that there may have to be multiple vaccinations every year to cover yeah. to cover this, which uh, makes yeah, makes yeah. very little sense. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, so, I, I don't know. how many? I mean, how many people? The the flu kills thousands every year, doesn't it? And we have uh, we have vaccines for that. Yeah, yeah. that you know, a great vaccine might only be sixty percent effective. Right. So, and don't don't isn't there a, a top up vaccination for some for flu as well? Can you have more than one? You could be vaccinated against all of them, the couldn't same you? Thing. Right. Limitless. Like you a bottomless like refill. A hexavalent um, flu vaccine that protected against four strains of flu and then two strains of coronavirus and just call it the winter jab or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're doing because I work in the NHS that they uh, they're pushing now for everybody to be vaccinated for flu, which they do every year anyway. Um, but it's been rebranded this year in to to take the pressure off services, so you don't, you know, in case you get ill with flu, rather than having to call your doctor because you got ill with flu, have the vaccination instead. That's how it's been pushed this year. Right. Not what they normally say. It's, it's, the, it's the annual winter crisis that every country in the world yeah. has. Oh, that's it for now. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just more to do with COVID and yeah, people are indoors winter. more uh, mm. and poorly ventilated. Mm. 
Makes you think, like, when they told us to stay indoors. It's <laughs> yeah. like, mm, probably the worst place to be. There must be, there must still be all those strains of cold and flu and all that sort of stuff that's there all the time anyway going around. So I think a lot well, of us haven't picked for that. Well, yeah. <laughs> as soon as, yeah, my son's gone back to nursery and I think he's on to his, this is a baby, he's on to about his third cold in mm. um, eight weeks, I would say. Wow. Third or fourth. One temperature. It's good. One, one COVID test. Build up that immune system. Exactly, yeah. Is it true that the common cold is a form of coronavirus? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. There's yeah. about so four or six, is there? Oh, there's loads. There's no, loads. It's single so digits. With, with any luck, this is me. This, I mean, I haven't considered it before tonight, but maybe this is just going to mutate into another form of the, the common cold. Hopefully. It depends whether they designed that into it when they met it. <laughs> the Chinese it's a chimera it's a chimera they're experimenting you know we had to make this virus so that we can do tests on it and, and work out how they work oops it got loose FEMA camps <laughs> what a great story somebody should do a film about that I don't like to put chemicals in the water they turn the friggin frogs gay oh man right we're rocking up onto an hour Oof. Well, oh, uh, go so quick. Thanks for coming, Steve. Well, yeah, my thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Don't forget Cheers, to Steve. check um, the website, online chemistry tutor. Yeah. Dot net. That's it. Did you not afford dot com? No, not available. Should have made a, made a, make them an offer they can't refuse. <laughs> yeah. Some tutoring. Yeah. Right, we'll be back in a flash for the debrief. Got some Ooh. some COVID news and some housekeeping. Uh, housekeeping. Say housekeeping. Right, we're back. <laughs> the dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. So and the online chemistry tutor. That was our yes. chat with the with the online chemistry tutor. How do you think that went? He's a bit of a um, dick, really. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. He's still here. I was going to say, would you like me to point out that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, uh, I, I worked in high schools for 15 years. I've been called far, far worse. What's the worst thing you've been called? Uh, oh, crikey. Um, I've I tried to struggle to think of one. I remember there was a time when a student told me to do one. And then um, <laughs> she came back at the end of the lesson and said, I'm sorry I told you to do one, sir, which is a quite interesting apology. Um, oh, I, I, I can't think of a specific one. Didn't you work in one of the roughest schools in the northeast? I did my first um, diagnostic training placement at a school that was pretty, pretty hard going. And, um, and the worst you've had is do one? What's that? The worst you've had is do one. Well, I, I think I've been. I, I, I just can't think of one in a minute. Did you, um, did you I got n- called a curly haired fucker when I was uh, doing that <laughs> PGCA. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the teachers. No, oh, I was going to say, was that in the staff room? Curly <laughs> haired <laughs> 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 fucker. <laughs> Going straight to the heart. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, let's crack on. We have to do some housekeeping. It's housekeeping, housekeeping. time. Housekeeping. 
housekeeping. <laughs> housekeeping. What do we need? <laughs> what do we need housekeeping wise? Uh, uh, reviews, iTunes. Reviews. reviews. We do need iTunes reviews, and we had some we this have, week. Yeah, we had some. Have you have you got it written down? No, I thought that was your job. Oh, that's right. Oh, I, uh, I WhatsApped it you. Yeah, it's in the WhatsApp. Uh, while you're trying to find that, we should. Um, I see it. I'm I'm, okay. I'm ahead. All right, come on. Come on. Another five star review. Obviously, it says great show, interesting guests, and awesome hosts. Five stars. Wow. Um. Yes, by Apple yes. Podcasts, United States of America. Right. Very good. And what was the, right. the other one? one? From Austria. Austria? One from Austria. Who's yeah. who's contacted us from Austria? Um, Valex. Our, uh, our Antipodean friends. Yeah. Val times three. Uh, it says, the title is, came here to listen to my dad and stayed because of the lads. And you playing Tosser Coins, your Witcher. Great podcast, as it mixes knowledge and humour, and your friendship is very much shining through to follow again. Um, Smiley-faced emoji with red cheeks. Come so to, I think that means he's been smiling so much, his cheeks are hurting. Come to listen to a dad. Yeah, so I reckon it must be uh, Rudolph's son, maybe. Oh, it could have been, yeah. Ah, the guess, yeah but it says Austria. Well, funny you should say about Rudolph because tonight was the first night of the um, Thoth Hermes Academy online lectures. Oh, yeah. Ah. Um, so, well, who, who's it? Val Times 3. If you relay a, mes- a message to your dad, Rudolph, we're sorry. We were going to come, weren't we, Ben, to this one? Because yeah, we were was meant- it this one? We're, well, we were meant yeah. to have a, a the, cut a long story short. We're, we weren't supposed to be podcasting tonight. We should have had a, no. a pre-record on Friday. Um, so we would have had tonight free, but because that fell through, we've had to do a podcast tonight. So that's why we weren't at the Thoth had it, Hermes Academy. Val times three. <laughs> <laughs> Any more? Was that it? Was that all, all the uh, iTunes this yeah, week? Yeah, just two. Just two today, this week. Okay. Maybe I can write one right now whilst we're doing the debrief. Uh, mm. Just don't tell the listeners that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what else do we need housekeeping-wise? We need uh, uh, donations, I believe, don't, don't we? Yeah. Monetary donations are accepted. Monetary yes. Especially welcome. If you go to uh, payment two pound fifty. If you go to the armistinquisition.com and click on the how do I become a, produ- a producer tab, yeah, and then you can do a PayPal. You know, it costs money to do this and time. <laughs> you know, toss us a coin. For fuck's sake, toss us a coin. Toss a coin to your Witcher, oh Valley of Plenty, oh Valley of Plenty. Oh. I'm a blind man. Toss a coin to your witcher. Uh, how else? How else can you become a producer? Um, you need to make contact with us. Yes. Yeah, just send us an interesting story about your, I don't know, local area or area of interest or whatever. Just just send us anything. Personal anecdotes are welcome. News yeah, articles. No, di- no dick pics. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Video clips. News articles, guest suggestions, people send us, so they're welcome. Yeah. You might know someone who knows someone who might be Richard Rupert Sheldrake's son or something. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> 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 um, 
It's we need a tap for the studio. I mean, we haven't got enough of that knocking around. Send us, uh, you know, stuff for the walls if you want to. You want to see in the background? I'm sure Phil will feature it in front of the desk or well, whatever. You can do all kinds of things. I uh, I made contact with a few other local podcasters this week. Oh, never a straight answer. Never heard of NASA. <laughs> NASA, yeah. So I, I talked to Gaz from Never a Straight Answer this week, and uh, there might be a collab in the offing, possibly. Yeah. Manchester podcast. Um, Curtis from the Culture Marauders contacted us as well. Curtis Tigers. Mm, no, Kurt, I don't know his surname. <laughs> Curtis from the Culture Marauders. You've and, heard of the Culture Marauders, haven't you? No, no, they were new to me, but it looks interesting, and it's kind of a grey area. These are all really good podcast names. Yeah, I know. (sighs) The Amish Inquisition. Can't go back. Too late now. (laughs) Uh, We should thank the producers for this week. So, producers for episode 146, Yas, Val Times 3, Full Metal (laughs) Keto. Gav's got an anonymous. Thank you very much. Once the cockles of your heart. See anonymous. We always have an anonymous producer. Thanks yeah. a lot. Um. <laughs> they are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. You're wrong and you're a grotesquely ugly freak. I've been coming to terms with the fact that I am gay. I'm a blind man. Like a judgment day and terminating mode like. Uh, uh, oh, you alright, Ben? I imagine the yeah, it's so emotional. <laughs> <laughs> you were. Uh, did that bring a tear to your eye? Always. <laughs> <laughs> Always. I think we've lost. Uh, we've lost online chemistry duty there. You're right there, Steve. <laughs> you've, you've turned a distinct. Uh, a bit puce. You're looking a bit puce. Yeah, you're laughing. Good. Yeah, I am laughing. No corrections this week. So no, everything was correct last week. Do you know why? Perfect. Ben wasn't here. No, ben wasn't yeah. here. Ben wasn't here. No. Ah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> We've done the housekeeping. Uh, I've got some COVID news for this week. <coughs> Do you want to hear some some COVID COVID nineteen eighty four news? Uh, yes. Special mix coming up. COVID-19 news. This morning, as COVID cases mount across the country, the mass debate is intensifying. People are very passionate on both sides of the great mass debate. The partisan mass debate is heating up. Mass debate's growing. The president is trying to have us cover the mass debate. Police are preparing to launch their aerial arsenal as part of a crackdown on COVID rule breakers. Doesn't really bother me, I'm doing the right thing, so I'm going to hide. There's also been talks about whether the vaccine is going to be mandatory. You know, it's just, you know, super painful. How's that? That was impressive. Bit of live mixing off off the fly. Yeah. To say the most. Um, Need to focus on the state of Victoria again this week. Because shit's getting real. Did you say there was a mention of aerial surveillance there? 
So I've got a clip from Channel 7 News um, about the latest tactics being implemented. Oh, not Channel 9? No, Channel 7. Oh, Police are preparing to launch their aerial arsenal as part of a crackdown on COVID rule breakers. High-powered drones will be used to find people not wearing masks and cars too far from home. Sky-high surveillance as we battle to control COVID. Over the next week, Victoria Police will dispatch drones. They'll be keeping a watch on St Kilda and Port Melbourne Beach, making sure skate parks and playgrounds remain empty. And for those who head to the park, a mask is a must, or at least a face covering. Are they knickers? Yeah, it's my knickers. <laughs> Police have also been using drones to guard the New South Wales border. There are concerns this style of policing won't end when the pandemic is over. I think it's very important that we come up with rules, with laws that can also have things like sunset clauses so there's an end point for any kind of technology or new powers that police might use. There's no escaping this high-powered aerial arsenal. It can be flown for seven kilometres. The camera is infrared and it's so clear it can read a vehicle's number plate from 500 metres away. It doesn't really bother me, I'm doing the right thing, so I've got nothing to hide. I reckon they're doing a good job, the coppers, and good, you know, good on them for doing that. Tegan Dolling, 7 News. So, eyes in the sky. Mm, interesting about sunset clauses. I, I remember that being mentioned when our parliament was starting to, to put in some, some measures at the start of the, the it had, pandemic. It had to be fought for that. Mm. Yeah. Why would it be successful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Labour oh, Party um, fought for sunset clauses to be added. Because why would a government limit its own powers? I find the yeah. um, I find the woman in the clip's attitude a bit worrying. This one doesn't really bother me. I'm doing the right thing, so I've got nothing to hide. I'm not the knickers woman. No, I'm smelling her own knickers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, that's that. I've heard that argument said many times before. You know, if you've got yeah. nothing to hide, the way you bothered about all this, uh, so they said in 1984 as well, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. That's the problem. Is where does it end? Yeah. You know, is it? Are we, you know, what about if they, were, they implemented like a Chinese-style social credit system? Would you be happy with that? Well, you've nothing to hide. <laughs> What about a mobile? Well, I, know, I never said I had nothing to hide. Now. I'm talking about the woman on there. What about <laughs> if they? What about if we just put this um, like Listening little mobile wrist. tracking chip in your wrist? Is that all you've right? Got, you've got one of me, and, and you know. Yeah, but you can. You don't. Well. That's not mandatory. It's not mandatory, you but can, it's fairly ubiquitous. You can. T- it has an off button, apparently. What? Yeah, you can turn it off and just leave it in a drawer, and life still mm. goes on. And know, if only it were true. <laughs> oh, but we could just put that in your in your a, a chip in your head. How's that? That's all right. I've nothing to hide. Does it get five G? I'm Can sure it guarantee hundred percent coverage. It's is six. That's old news. It's six G. That's what's 6G. going there. Six G. Yeah, more G's. <laughs> well, I remember early early in the lockdown, there was a wasn't there a situation where was it Derbyshire Constabulary um, hosted. <laughs> Um, drone footage of people in the peak district. Yeah. 
not long after lockdown saying, you, you know, should you really be out there? That's kind of thing, shaming people. And it's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? And and this and nowadays, one, one of the things, one of the sort of developments was that you could go outside. You know, you could go out and go to the park and what have you. So it probably turned out they weren't really doing anything wrong anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it, they... it, it reminded me of that, with the sort of the, the drones going around and monitoring people and, well, they're, they're yeah. looking for people without wear, not wearing masks because you have to wear um, masks outdoors. In and you're not, is it, was it on last week? You're not allowed five kilometres uh, away from your own house. That's right. And also a, a curfew, eight till five, I think. Mm. Return to your homes, drones. And you know what comes next? M- mandatory vaccine. After event 201. Mandatory vaccinations. I've got a clip from... No, no, I haven't. Uh, mandatory face masks. I've got a clip from this morning, this week, about a controversial school head teacher in uh, Milton Keynes. Then we've got a bit of a controversial one here. Uh, a head teacher of a, pri- a primary school in Milton Keynes uh, has basically said to parents in a newsletter mm-hmm. that um, all children, uh, apart from the ones under five, have to wear a face mask. Uh, obviously, uh, it's not with the, it, go, it goes completely against government guidelines. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what do you think about that? Well, we weren't asked to wear masks a couple of months ago. I think possibly it's quite forward thinking. Can you really blame a headmaster who wants to? So we're not just talking about the spread of the virus. We're talking about people feeling secure. And if it's going to take for all the kids in one school wearing masks to make the parents feel safe enough to bring their kids to the school. I understand it's, you know, it's not necessarily conducive to their social experience, but if it's going to make them feel safer and their parents feel better about bringing them in, why not? Especially in primary school, I think we need to be thinking about making the return as... Normal? Not, yeah, as normal as possible the least weird way to do it, basically, because they're already going to be freaking out if there's if there's big plastic sheets between them and their mates or whatever, or they're separated or they're, they're having to have different things at different times and they're playing on top of a, a, a three-by-three-metre pallet or something. Uh, it's It needs to be normal for the kids because otherwise they, they're going to get messed up. It's not, it's not really fair mm. on them. You shouldn't be thinking... Let's make this more, I don't know, COVID secure, whatever. It's, it's difficult to balance, but you, you certainly shouldn't be telling everyone to wear masks unless they have the school logo on it and it becomes part of the uniform. It reminds me of the, uh, the article about those kids in Thailand who had to sit in cubes, plastic cubes, because yep. 45 people in Thailand have died. From COVID, fuck you v- up. Very young cubes, as, uh, very young children as well. Yeah, like reception age children sat in yeah. like four plastic four cubes. foot plastic cubes. I mean, it's can't be good, can it? Mentally, no. I you say psychologically, you basically you you're learning that this prop, this mask, is keeping you safe. Yikes! Yeah, so you know, and like especially if you're a child, surely if you know, there was research, wasn't there, before, I assume there's been more research into masks now, hasn't there? Like there's one recently. Um, but um, before, there was a lot of research saying that it made you 
made you feel more secure. Therefore, you took more risks. So you didn't wash your hands as thoroughly or... Social you know, distancing things. isn't adhered yeah. as strictly. Exactly, yeah. So false, on false top of the illusion of safety, you've also got the illusion of of other people being dangerous as well, which isn't a healthy, <laughs> yeah. a healthy attitude to be giving. Divide uh, and conquer. A stranger <laughs> danger is one thing, but, you know, this is next level shit. Yeah, you have kids yeah. that are afraid of, of the grandpas and grandmas mm. because they could be carrying the deadly virus. Mm. Um, the next stage from... Oh, sorry, I was going to say, uh, I've got a second clip. It's. I didn't think I would say this, but on this morning, the following clip, Nick Ferrari becomes the voice of reason. What? <laughs> I, I suppose the, 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 the sands are shifting so much and the message seems to be... Uh, slightly opaque that this guy has taken matters into his own hands and I think the letter is quite brash. But w- w- what are your thoughts? I don't see how it's practical because I, 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 I understand and I know that the reception class are not going to be covered by this requirement, but all other ages... Well, think back to whether, if you can recall your days, I can't, when I was five or six or seven, or if you've got children or nieces or nephews who are five or six or seven, they're very tactile at that age. If you honestly think they're going to wear the mask in the right place for the whole of their school, it's not going to go over their head, under their chin, (laughs) over their friends' heads, round their back. (laughs) If I was it, I'd be pinging the people I didn't like with the damn thing. I I just don't see that it's practical. So I I don't think he's right to do it anyway, and I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's a... yeah, that summed it up for me. Yeah, mm. make a great catapult. It would, yeah. yeah. Depends how well the elastic's sewn on, but... <laughs> the very, the very uh, uh, entrepreneurial... No, that's not the right thing. Um, you know, engineering-minded, these kids. You can make a weapon out of anything in the classroom. <laughs> Little paperclip launchers... <laughs> Um, what would come after mandatory masks? There was talk in Australia this week about making the vaccine mandatory. That was kiboshed, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, the thing is, right, it it will it be everything but mandatory because they're going to use everything at the disposal. They already have systems in Australia where um, I don't think your kids can go to school if they're unvaccinated, things like that. But anyway, yeah. I got a clip. It's about the AstraZeneca vaccine that they've signed the deal for. There's also uh, been talks about whether the vaccine is going to be mandatory. Well, uh, on Melbourne radio yesterday morning, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said that the vaccine will be as mandatory as possible, with the federal government saying that they're wanting a 95% uptake to get that herd immunity. Uh, going within the population, but then backtracked on those comments on Sydney Radio in the afternoon saying that the vaccine will not be compulsory. Now, Australia's Deputy Chief Health Officer, Dr Nick Coatsworth, held a press conference yesterday and he was saying that restrictions could be placed on people who don't get vaccinated. There needs to be some sort of um, in incentive stick, perhaps, um, through the current programs, including no jab, no pay. Looking at specific things like not being able to um, go into restaurants, not being able to travel internationally, not being able to um, catch public transport, or more broadly having um, what in the olden days would have been a yellow fever vaccination certificate. But there's, um, there's no um, current mechanism to enforce that sort of thing at the moment. Yeah, so it's not mandatory, but you can't use public transport, you can't send your kids to school, and you can't get paid. Well, so was yellow fever vaccination mandatory back in the day then? Sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, he said there was something about a card system. I don't know. Yeah. Passport. 
Um, well, if it's not unprecedented, then there's no uh, reason why. It- but it, it has to be proportional. Right, so Spanish flu death rate is, what, 30%? Yeah. It wiped out millions of people across Europe. Right, yeah. and uh, mm. the response has to be proportional. If you're going to have your rights eroded, they have to have a fucking good reason for it. Yeah. Otherwise, we won't have any rights. The other thing as well, which I was thinking about this week, surely in the 1930s, everyone's general health was probably a little bit worse in terms of nutrition. And when they like dig up people, I I could argue against that, to be honest. Well, yeah. (laughs) The the amount of shit we eat today. Long-term conditions and things. But I think nutritionally, I think it would have been worse, personally. I might be wrong. Probably am. A lot of misinformation on this podcast anyway. So (laughs) add a little bit more. But the other thing is, I'm going back years now, you look at the Black Death. The reason why the death rate was so high with that was because it tended to be just after famines and things, essentially, and it wiped out like 80% or whatever, I don't know, you know. Yeah. A similar kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if overall health is better or worse now than in the 17th century. <laughs> I think you could make an argument that like eating whole foods, getting loads of exercise every day and being out in the fresh air yeah, might, might make you healthier than, you know, the standard Western diet. No. And, and working think, yourself to death because <laughs> you're a dead slave. The thing was, I think people would have been already been ill with things, wouldn't they? No, um, uh, vaccinations at all, I guess in the thirties, were they? Was it even? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah, there was, wasn't there? Smallpox. Cowpox. So. Okay. Right, yeah, finished now. <laughs> do, you want, do, you the, do you want the little facts about the. You probably all know this the word vaccination and where it comes from. Cow? Yeah. Laka. Laka. The cow. How's that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, my, fine overlords. My, my Latin teaching colleague isn't here to confirm this. He can fact check maybe. But I believe vaca or waca is a Latin word for cow. So vaccination came from cowpox. Cow I thought it was from vash. The vash. Le, vash is, is French for cow, right? Is it that? What? Was, vash, where was Jenna? Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah. Was he not a French guy, Louis Pasteur? Was he not him? No. No, it wasn't Pasteur, was it? You're right. It was, it was Edward Jenner. All oh, right, okay. Is he French? No. 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 English. He was English, yeah. Well, who was the smallpox Frenchman then? I'm sure there's a French guy who infected a farm boy. No, that's All right, okay. In Gloucestershire. All right, I thought it was French. There you go, learn something new every day. No, any any French inventions have been stricken from the record, I think. Dead air. (laughs) That's all right. Yeah, I don't know. There There might have been a French link at some point. Voltaire, where was he from? France. <laughs> mm-hmm. Candide. Jacques Antoine Rabu Pommier. 
A similar observation was later made in France by Jacques, Jacques Antoine Rabou Pommier in 1780. So, close but no cigar. I've got a, a miscellaneous story. Seeing as we were talking about gov- government overreach before. Okay. And here's some news from Germany. Dog owners in Germany are being told to take their pooch for a walk or just they have to pay the price. Mm -hmm. The country is considering a law that would require all dog owners to walk their animals twice a day for at least an hour in total. Under the proposed rules, dog owners would also not be allowed to keep their pets chained up for long periods of time. It would also become illegal to leave a dog home alone for a whole day. Germany's agriculture minister says the law is based on expert advice to ensure animal welfare. Hmm. Wow, going to the extremes. There you go. All right. Isn't that like like normal for dogs? <laughs> That's, is that not what you're supposed to do anyway? Yeah, it's not just all dog owners should be responsible. Only with more legislation. You shouldn't be allowed to leave your dog at home. On its own for for the day. You're not supposed to anyway. It depends what you mean by a day, doesn't it? So if it's <laughs> like working. eight hours of work or yeah. 24 hours. The working day. Right, okay. That'd be tricky for some people, I guess, wouldn't it? Mm. But some people pay, don't they? To have someone yeah. come in at dinner time or whatever, or go home themselves if you can. Yeah. I just don't think it should be the law. <laughs> What about um? What about if I tried to take our dog out for two half hour walk a day? She'd be dead by end of week. <laughs> yeah, but you have to. That's why it's a whole new system of regulation. You have to start buying doggy trailers. What? You oh, put man. the dog on a trailer and you wheel her for her walk. <laughs> you benefit as well as the dog. Yeah, and then you put on your harness, and then the dog whips you. Okay. Faster yeah, it's human. not about Faster. the dogs. This is a this is a health move from the German government. The next law after this will be <coughs> everyone gets a free dog, and then you're forcing <laughs> people to go out and do an hour's worth of exercise no, every it's, day. It's not a free dog. You're mandated a dog. It's tax deductible dog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know. I like the idea of the dog taking you for a walk. Presumably, yeah. presumably, if you're out and you see a cat or a squirrel, you're the one who has to chase it rather than the dog. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, bonus health points. Mm. Oh, God, I forgot. I forgot um, a COVID news story. Oh no! Oh no! Backtrack. Uh, sequence now. Yeah. yeah. Well, is it or is it because I want to? I, I try to end on something lighthearted. Oh, here we go. All right then. Um, there's been a lot of talk about what you haven't to do, um, uh, sort of reactive COVID measures and rather than proactive measures. So stay home, wash your hands every 20 minutes, uh, <laughs> you know, you get this advice, but you don't get any advice about like being healthy or building up your immune system. And, um, do you know what I mean? Okay. Or, you know, maybe take a multivitamin might be a good idea. Um and smoothies are a huge thing in the in the health nutritional world, aren't they? Um, so I have it. <laughs> I've got a depends on what you put in it, I guess. So. Yeah, the well, benefit of the link. <laughs> you're gonna find out because I have a, a recipe here. Oh no! Oh. 
So I want to share with you how I make my daily smoothies. I have some fresh fruits and vegetables that I just have in my fridge. Whatever is to hand is what I use. My special ingredient is semen. <laughs> I didn't catch that. What did she say? Semen. Just whatever's <laughs> in the fridge, Steve. <laughs> I thought I thought that's what she said. I just didn't believe it. Semen. <coughs> just getting the old jizz out of the fridge. Yeah, apparently it's good. More. Apparently it's good for <laughs> it's good for boosting. Is it, just, is it just half a pint of semen? Yeah. How much? Just everything in the fridge and, and a couple of shakes. <laughs> can't believe none of you have asked me how she acquires it. I don't even know if it's human semen. Yeah, we don't, yeah. It is human semen. Would you like to know how it is acquired? Yeah. No, yeah. Well, <laughs> Something that I store in the fridge for 24 hours and then into the freezer thereafter. With coronavirus, I am in a long-distance relationship, which means that when my, my boyfriend does drop semen to me, he leaves it on the doorstep, rings the doorbell, and then leaves, and I'm able to collect it from the doorstep. What is he doing on the doorstep? <laughs> There's no mention of a container. <laughs> she scrapes it off the doorstep. I think her boyfriend goes to sickles and then just chucks one over the knuckle onto the doorstep. Oh, and then God. she comes and scrapes it up and puts it in the fridge. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like, it sounds like knock a door run. Oh no, but a really sexually violent one. <laughs> God. Knock a door, come. This is next week's guest, is it? <laughs> just, uh, just she, like, was, she was. She, she turned us down, so we got Steve. <laughs> Can we reiterate that on the Amish Inquisition, we only accept monetary donations from <laughs> <laughs> business? <laughs> Oh, God. Can you imagine trying to open the P.O. box and it's all sticky inside? Ah. Oh, She's just doing it for hits, isn't she? She's just making it up. She had a fridge full of it. I saw the video. <laughs> oh, Yes, I'm, it's legit. She has it. Every, you know, it's part of her, her health regimen. And what is the what is the thoughts behind eating semen? Full of protein, I've heard. <laughs> but it, it is majority protein, isn't it? It's majority. Interesting. I have an interesting semen fact. Um, for oh, here we they, go. They've they found out recently in the last week or so that that rather than swishing the tails side to side, sperm rotates and it's like a corkscrew motion. But because they're seeing it in 2D down microscopes, they're seeing it as a swish. Oh. And they're actually just spinning randomly <laughs> and, and it just makes things even more crazy um, how anyone gets pregnant at all. <laughs> it's, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so they have a tail so, yeah. that works like a corkscrew. Pretty much, Ooh. it just spins. The whole thing is just spinning, and it yeah, it creates a court screen motion right. through the matrix. <laughs> there you go, sperm news. 
So maybe, I don't know, maybe she can infer some some corkscrew energy from her smoothies or something like that. On top of the cheap protein. Yeah, there can't be that many calories in a, in a shot. <laughs> a shot in the mouth. <laughs> a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. <laughs> Oh my god, that was disgusting. I think that was a good, good, good thing to end on. Uh, yeah. It's normal, Matthew. Come on, get woke. <laughs> no With your Victorian attitudes. <laughs> Victorian dad here. <laughs> right, we're gonna go. All right, okay. Just getting late. Okay. Yeah, it is. Keeping it tight. A tight Thanks, two hours. Yeah. Thanks, All the best. Bye, Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So amazing in there. She's like literally a communist. I got hairy legs. They are. She's like literally a communist. Come on. <laughs> drink and I know things.